Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharonChurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. Grab your Bibles. We're going to go to John chapter 9. Begin again this today in studying God's Word. Uh, Before we get too far into it, I do want to give us a few announcements of just a number of things coming up for us in the life of our church, and uh, then we'll transition into study. And so, first uh, is is our egg your neighbor going on right now. So, back behind these doors to the right, there is a display full of boxes. I think we have about 100 left boxes full of eggs to go. Celebrate Easter with your neighbors. Uh, egg their yard, um, put some treats in it. We're gonna share the gospel in that way, just a, a simple way for you to engage your community. I think there are a lot of things that we do that bring the community to us. This is a way that we bring uh, the gospel to our community. So I wanna invite you to do that. Get to know your neighbors, get to know even just friends in this way. Uh, next Sunday night is our prayer and worship service at five o'clock next Sunday night here in the auditorium. It'll just be an hour long. We have preschool activities for preschoolers, but everyone... First grade and up, we invite them to be a part of this. Just a way that we train our hearts, uh, that we gather to pray. We don't just pray when we gather. We gather to pray. We gather to worship. And we're gonna walk through Holy Week together uh, next Sunday night. I wanna invite you to that. If you haven't been to one of our, our prayer services, they're a beautiful, sweet time. I wanna invite you to that as we center our hearts around the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And that leads us into Easter. Easter is April 4th, coming up in, I think, two weeks from today. Uh, Easter is here, and so our normal service times, 9.45, 11.15, here in the auditorium. There's uh, kids' ministry going on, preschool ministry going on, but we'll be in here, uh, sixth grade and up, in here to worship and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. With that in mind, means that we're going to need some extra volunteers, so if you're willing to serve in any of these areas, in our preschool ministry or our kids, elementary kids' ministry parking lot or greeters, just ask that you would text Easter to this number on the screen. I'll leave it up there because last week two of you did it, so thank you. And so now we can have more people uh, serve and sign up to help serve. We're gonna have people from our community here, um, so we wanna make sure that we greet them well and serve them well. And so if you're able to and willing to sit one service and then serve the next, or serve one service and sit the next one, I wanna invite you to be a part of that. And then next, we have an event coming up for men, uh, April 18th. It's a Sunday from four to 6 p.m., working on some ways that we can train our men, uh, men of our church, to fight the good fight for their families, uh, for their friends, for their community. Uh, Oftentimes, it's the men that are neglected, and we see that. We see the effects of that in our community. We see the effects of that in our churches, and so we want to make sure that as as Sharon Church, that we are investing in men who are on the front lines for our families, whether we believe it or not. Some of us are just getting the heck knocked out of us because we aren't where we need to be in following Jesus. And so I want to invite men to this 4 to 6 p.m. on April the 18th. Uh, barbecue will be there, so that's all, that's all you need to hear. We'll have barbecue. So I want to invite you to be a part of that. And I think that's all we have. Is that right, Brandon? All right, so if you would, just grab your Bibles. We'll be in John chapter 9 uh, today studying this passage, and I hope maybe you've read it this past week. John 9 comes out of John chapter 8, where Jesus has been in Judea. He's been in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, and this happens, and some scholars would tell you it's a few months later. Some say this is right afterwards, as he's kind of journeying back home, but uh, a miracle happens, one that uh, we probably are kind of familiar with. He's performed a similar miracle before. This isn't a brand new idea. It's not a brand new 
method or thing for him, but there is uh, some changes in the method. Jesus is beginning his journey now, the final six to nine months of his life on earth. And so now everything is heightened and the Pharisees are aware of it. I think they're feeling it a bit. And so there's, they're on edge. Things are bothering him, them more than they would before. But we're gonna study this t- today. I'm just, I wanna read through the entire chapter. I'm gonna read through it pretty quickly. But I want you to pay attention to two things. Pay attention to the journey of faith of the blind man. Pay attention to his journey as he uh, meets Jesus and then journeys into true faith with Jesus. And then pay attention to the backwards journey of the Pharisees. Jesus, I believe, always opens up salvation and grace even to the Pharisees. But in the darkness of their hearts, they kind of revolt against that and they turn backwards. So we see the trajectory of a blind man moving towards Jesus and then the trajectory of the Pharisees moving away from Jesus at the same time. So we can see all this happen here in John uh, chapter nine. Let's begin in verse one. As he passed by, this is Jesus. So as he was walking on his way, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. This word saw is uh, that he fixed his attention on. And notice what Jesus saw. Jesus saw a man blind from birth. So pay attention, he's blind from birth. He's never had sight. Not once has he had sight. This isn't, uh, he has no framework, no raw material to work with here. He's blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? So Jesus sees a man born blind. The the disciples see a bit of a conundrum. They see a theological debate. They see something to discuss. And they ask, okay, based on his blindness, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? that he was born blind. Verse three, Jesus answered, it was not that this man man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. There's some old thought, uh, particularly in Jewish theological circles, that a baby in the womb could have sinned in such a way that the punishment for their sin in the womb would have been blindness, or they would have come out lame, or they would have come out mentally handicapped. That this... Any, any type of, of this struggle and suffering was because of a sin that either the baby had committed in utero or that the parents had committed while conceiving or in, in, the, in utero was, as the baby was growing for those nine months. This was the belief that if the parents were sinners, blatant, outright, profound sinners, the baby would pay the consequences, most often through blindness. So this has been what's taught in synagogues. It's what's been taught uh, in homes. And so whenever you would see a child uh, lame from birth, blind from birth, deaf from birth, it was never compassion you felt, but it was a theological debate, and then it was shame put upon the parents or even upon that person. This man has grown up in such a way that even the disciples want to know, and Jesus says, no, no, nobody sinned, but here's the reason for his suffering, that the works of God might be displayed in him. It's a whole other sermon, but this is some theology of suffering. That often our suffering, while maybe not created by God, was allowed by God that the hand of God might be displayed in the world. Sometimes suffering has nothing to do with immediate sin. It's much to do with original sin and how God's gonna reveal himself. So that's what's happening here. Verse four. We, my translation says we, some of you say I, we being the Trinity. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. 
night is coming when no one can work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. The disciples want a theological debate and Jesus has compassion and wants to heal. I'm gonna work these works. Verse six, having said these things, he spit on the ground like he does and made mud with the saliva. Jesus says, I'm gonna work, work the works of him who sent me. And then he spits in the mud, makes mud with the saliva. And then he anointed. I love that John says anointed. Doesn't feel like anointing to me. If you're gonna use your spit, don't call it anointing. He anointed my ear. Nope, that was a wet willy. He anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. In the Old Testament, King Hezekiah uh, had constructed underground tunnels to pull fresh water in just in case they were ever attacked, that they would have fresh water. And it would journey through all the way down into the temple, into a lower pool called the Pool of Siloam. This is where, uh, because it was living water, because it was rushing water, it was considered clean enough for purification rituals. So they would use this back at the Feast of Tabernacles. When the priest would take a bucket of water and pour it out each night, it would come from this very pool, the Pool of Siloam, really inside of the temple gates. So Jesus puts the mud on the man's eyes and says, run to this pool, which means sent. John is making the point that Jesus has been sent from the Father, so he's letting this man know, run to the pool, which means sent. So he went, the man went, and he washed, and he came back seeing. Blind from birth, now he's seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar, Jesus saw him as a man. The disciples saw him as a theological conundrum. And now his neighbors saw him only as a beggar. When they saw the man uh, that they saw before as a beggar, they were saying, is, not, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it is he. And others said, no, but he is like him. And the man kept saying, I am the man. It's me, it's, it's me, I'm, I'm the same man. It's me. Uh, this man, it's, it's interesting how he has to continue to prove, no, 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 the only difference is that I can see now. He looks exactly the same. Probably wearing the same clothes they've seen him in before. Like the same guy, the exact same guy, and he has to remind them, the only difference is that I can see now. That's, it's, it's me. And so they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, notice, underline, highlight what he says, the man called Jesus. So he just calls him a man, a man whose name is Jesus, made mud, anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received my sight. That's his story. A man named Jesus made mud, anointed my eyes, told me to go wash. So I did. And now I can see. That's my story. At this point, the blind man only knows Jesus as the man. That's all he knows him as. It's at this point here. So he has eyes to see, right? He has physical eyes to see, but he's still not fully understanding who Jesus is. Jesus has performed a miracle for a man who hasn't given him his trust, hasn't given him his faith, hasn't followed him all the days of his life. So all he knows him in as is the man called Jesus. Verse 12, well, they said to him, where is this man? Where is he? And the blind man says, I do not know. You wanna know why? Because when Jesus healed him and then walked away, he was blind. Like, he, he has no idea where Jesus is. Couldn't tell you what he looks like. Couldn't tell you what he was wearing. He was blind. Not a clue. 
It's like, well, where is he? I don't know. I was blind when this happened. I have no idea. So he's gone. Verse 13. So they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. So the neighbors and friends now take him to the Pharisees. They want, they want to know more. What's happened? What do you think is going on? Verse 14, and here's John's dun-dun-dun words. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. On the Sabbath day, uh, you could not knead. You couldn't knead dough for bread. You could not knead um, mud for clay. This was a direct violation of one of the laws on the Sabbath. This, this would have been considered work and going against the Sabbath. It was the Sabbath day. So again, when Jesus performs miracles, when he teaches, it's meant to impact everyone within distance. Anyone who's witnessed to this, anyone who hears about it, there's a direct impact on this, on everyone involved. So here's what we know. The miracle was for the blind man, but the method was for the Pharisees. Jesus was going to heal the blind man regardless. How he did it, the method, was to get the attention of the Pharisees. This is not the only blind man that Jesus has healed uh, up to this point or that he would heal. He heals many more blind people that we know of. It's the only one that he does with mud, particularly on the Sabbath day. For some, he just pronounces healing. Uh, Some, he just touches them. Others, from a distance, declares them able to see. But this one is unique. There's a different method. Same blindness, different method. This method is to get at the hearts of the Pharisees. The blind man is healed. The blind man can see. Regardless of how Jesus was going to do it, the end result was the seeing of the blind man. But the method is particularly directed at the Pharisees. There's one constant in the miracles of Jesus, and that's Jesus. Look at how he performs many more miracles. There's Very little similarity between any of the miracles. Whenever he heals a deaf man or now heals a blind man or heals a lame man, whenever he casts out demons, the only constant is Jesus. How it happens is always different. The materials he uses seems to be always different. But what is constant is the presence of Jesus. So the method, though, the method changes. But the miracle is the same. And this is what's gonna get after our pharisaical hearts is that there's no formula for the miracle of Jesus. There's no formula for our salvation. There's no formula. There's no, uh, there are no steps to it. There's nothing like that. It's just the miraculous work of Jesus. No formula, no rhyme, no reason. But Jesus performs this miracle on the Sabbath day with a particular method. Verse 15. So the Pharisees, Asked, again asked him how he had received his sight. And the man said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Now, he told his neighbors and friends that Jesus anointed him. Didn't mention the mud. But here now he talks about the mud. This man put uh, mud on my eyes. I washed and now I see. That's his story. I don't know. I know there's a man named Jesus, made some mud, put it on my eyes, I went to the pool and now I can see. Like he's getting good at telling the story. Verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, speaking of Jesus, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. 
Jesus chooses the method of the mud on the Sabbath to get at the Pharisees. And what's happening now is some of the Pharisees who were once so staunchly against Jesus being the Messiah are now saying, hold on a second. Because we've always been taught and believed that if any man is a sinner, he cannot do these kinds of miracles. And in fact, the Old Testament prophets would say that when the Messiah comes, he will set captives free and he will give sight to the blind. So now you've got a division, a judgment between the Pharisees. Some are saying he's, still, he's not who he claims to be. And some are saying, I don't know, because the evidence sure seems to be stacking up in favor of him being the Messiah. And I wonder if Nicodemus is the one saying, but how could a sinner do these things? Nicodemus's journey is moving towards salvation as well. There is a division among them. Verse 17. So the Pharisees said again to the blind man, well, what do you say about this man? What do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? Now the blind man says he is a prophet. Remember back in verse 11, he is a man called Jesus. Now here in verse 17, well, maybe he's a prophet. Do you see the journey that this man is taking? Meanwhile, the Pharisees, we see him here. The Pharisees are wondering, could a sinner do such signs? Could this actually be true? They're actually beginning it. Maybe we might have something here. Then verse 18, the Jews, the Pharisees, did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight. So now they're saying, this is all a hoax. This is not true. You, you were never blind. And maybe you can't even see right now. You're just pretending. Maybe this isn't actually, actually happening. They don't believe it. So they call his parents until they called his par- the parents of the man who had received his sight. And he asked, they asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And uh, just for an example of how not to parent your children, read the next few verses. His parents answered, we know this is our son and that he was born blind. Yes, but now he's, how he sees now, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age, for he will speak for himself. Verse 22. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So the parents say, I don't know. Ask him. Just don't kick us out of the church. Their son, born blind, now sees. This should be cause of celebration. This should be cause of, I don't even care how it happened. I don't care because my son who was blind can now see, but the parents are saying, hey, listen, let's just keep this on the down low. Go ask him. We don't know how it happened, but they're afraid of being excommunicated from the synagogue, not just kicked out of like Sunday morning service, of being no longer able to talk to anyone from their synagogue, any of their faith family. Therefore, his parents had said, he is of age, ask him. I'm not gonna get into it. Ask our son. Verse 24, for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Now they're saying, give glory to God. Don't give glory to this man. Praise God for this. If this really happened, it was the work of God, not this man. Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Verse 25. We're going to come back to this one. So underline this one. Verse 25. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I do know, 
that though I was blind, now I see. I don't know. I don't know how it happened. But I'm walking in the evidence of transformation. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why he used the mud. I don't know why he didn't just say something. I don't know if he is who he says he is or not. I have no idea. Here's what I know. Here's the evidence of my life. I came into this world blind, and for the first time in my life, I can see with my eyes. Here's the only thing I know. I once was blind, but now I see. And the evidence is right before the Pharisees. It's right there. A man born blind, proven by his parents, proven by his neighbors. This is the man who would beg outside of the temple. They knew him. Blind, but now can see. But the Pharisees want to discuss and dispute the method, and they're missing the miracle. They're missing a miracle literally in front of them. A man was blind from birth and can now see, but they're too busy fighting over the how that they're missing the wow of the miracle. But this blind man is walking in the miracle, so he's not distracted by the the method. It doesn't matter to him. I don't care how. I just know it did. I just know what happened. I just know I can see now. This is his simple testimony. Verse 26, they say to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, because now he's getting a little spunky. He answered them, I've told you already. And you would not listen. I told you. He anointed my eyes with mud. I went and washed. I came back and I can see. But you wouldn't hear me. You wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? (laughs) I love it. And they reviled him. They hated him. They spoke evil against him saying, you are his disciple, but we, we are disciples of Moses. You can have the sinner called Jesus. We're disciples of Moses. You can even have your sight. I don't care. It's fraud. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. Well, how do they know God spoke to Moses? They witnessed God speaking to Moses? No. It's just been passed down from generations through written and oral tradition that God had spoken to Moses. Right in front of them, their experience is that Jesus healed a blind man. We know where Moses came from. We don't know where this man comes from. Verse 30, the man answered, well, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet here I am. He opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. Now, where would the blind man have heard that God does not listen to sinners except for through the mouth of a Pharisee in the synagogue? Now, this blind man, this ignorant man, not educated, a beggar, an outcast, is now saying, hey, you remember what you taught us? You remember? In your very words, a sinner cannot perform these miracles. You've said it before, that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Now, since the world began, it has been heard, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. Even the other times Jesus performed miracles of blind men, they weren't born blind. They had seen for a period of time and then had gone blind. They had some raw material to work with. They had experience of sight. And this man is saying, this is the first time this has happened, that anyone born blind has received his sight. But remember, you, you told us 
that if a man is a sinner, God doesn't listen to him. But it sure seems like God has listened to this man, and yet you continue to call him a sinner. Verse 33, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Pharisees answered him, you were born in utter sin, but you would teach us? And they cast him out. They kicked him out of the synagogue. Not for the day, for his life. You see, the journey of the Pharisees is, well, I mean, maybe he is. Some are saying maybe he is, maybe he isn't. I'm not real sure about this Jesus too. How dare you? How dare you question us? How dare you use our words against us? Get out of here. You're done here with us. Well, Jesus, verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. This is what Jesus does for the outcast, for those who are kicked out and treated like garbage by the religious elite. Those who are considered disqualified and not good enough and kicked out of kicked out of uh, churches and religious organizations because of the, re- the pride of the religious elite. Jesus hears and he finds him. He says, do you believe in the son of man? The man answered, well, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? So to this point, he still doesn't have saving faith. He has sincere faith, but not saving faith. And in his sincere faith, he has gone from a, a blind man who can see to calling Jesus a man named Jesus, to calling him a prophet, to defending him in front of the religious elite. And now he's face to face with Jesus. And Jesus says, well, who? Or the man says, who is he? And Jesus says to him, verse 37, you have seen him. How powerful. Never before in his life has anyone been able to say that phrase to him. You've seen him. And in fact, it is he who is speaking to you. And the blind man said, Lord, I believe. The Greek word pistoeo, I am persuaded. I am convinced that you are who you say you are. But then look at what he does. His response to his salvation, his response to belief is worship. He worshiped him. This Greek word for worship is the same word that would be used for someone who would bow down before a king, would place his face on the ground, or would kiss the ring of a ruler and would humble, even humiliate himself before an authority. This is what worship is. Worship is the bowing down in reverence. It is the lowering of ourselves. It it was humbly and humiliatingly lowering ourselves before someone I'm convinced you are who you say you are. And his natural response of belief, of salvation, is worship. He surrenders. Jesus said, verse 39, it is for judgment I came into the world. This word for judgment is to draw a dividing line. That's why I came into the world. To draw a dividing line. That those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. We missed the second half of that verse. Yeah, he came to heal the blind man. He also came to make the seeing man blind. Verse 40, some of the Pharisees near him, because Pharisees hang out around Jesus just to catch him. They heard him say these things and said, okay, then are we also blind? Have you come so that we can see? Are we also blind? Then verse 41, Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, 
your guilt remains. Jesus is saying is, yeah, sure. If you would admit your blindness, admit that you, you are blind to spiritual things, if you would admit that even in all of your religious fervor, you've missed me, if you would admit your blindness, your spiritual darkness, then yeah, you would be able to see. But because you refuse to admit your blindness, your blindness continues. Because you refuse to confess your darkness, you refuse to confess your evil, your blindness, your guilt remains. In refusing to admit their blindness, the Pharisees were unable to see. So we see this journey of the blind man who moves from this miraculous event, a sign, a wonder, moves into, okay, he's a man, he's a prophet, he is the Messiah. There's a journey there that gets him to saving faith, from sincere faith with an event to saving faith with the person of Jesus. And the natural response of his salvation is worship. And then we see the Pharisees, educated in the law, educated in scripture, that all proclaim the coming of a, of a Messiah and Jesus performing the signs of a Messiah. And they moved from, over the period of three and a half years, of praying for a Messiah to condemning the Messiah to death on a cross. The difference is that the blind man had no problem admitting his blindness while the Pharisee refused to admit his blindness. And they crossed paths on their journey to and from Jesus. So a few points and then uh, we'll be done. First is this. We don't worship because we don't admit our blindness. The reason why we struggle in worship has nothing to do with music and whether or not we like the music, whether or not we can sing or can't, whether or not we want to sing in front of people or can't, whether or not we want to ascribe worth and bow before Jesus or we don't. The issue is that we refuse to admit our darkness. We refuse to admit our blindness. Our story is not, I once was blind, but now I see. Our story is, I once I could kind of see, but now I see better. I once had bad vision, and now I have contacts. That's how we tell our story. The beauty of the blind man is that he's not embarrassed to admit he once was blind, and now I see. But for the religious among us, we have a really hard time admitting our blindness. And therefore, because we won't admit our blindness, we have no way to worship. The method of this miracle might have been different, but the miracle is the same. And it's the same for you and for me. There are no degrees of blindness. You either can see or you can't see. You're either walking in darkness or you're not. And the Pharisees want to play a game of, well, I'm not that blind. And now it's turned to, I was never blind. And there are some of us today who uh, we don't worship because we refuse to admit that we were once blind. We used to. Like back when we were first saved, we used to admit our blindness. But as, as we've grown and matured, now it's like, well, I mean, I was blind, but, but now at least I go to church often. So now I can see. I was blind, but at least I don't listen to that kind of music, so now I see. I was blind, but, but now I've really worked hard, and so now I see. No, no, no. Our story is the same as the blind man. This I know. I once was blind, but now I see. 
And the person who has walked in blindness has no problem admitting their blindness. It's the person who has walked in uh, some sort of distorted vision that has a hard time embracing their blindness. There's no degrees. And when we lose the wonder of our salvation, we lose the substance of our worship. The blind man is amazed that he has gone from darkness to light, that he has gone from blind to seeing. The Pharisees have lost wonder. How do I know? Because there's a miracle standing in front of them and they're too concerned with the mud. They're too concerned with the method. And they've missed the wonder of this man's healing because they're so concerned with the method of it. We lose the wonder of our salvation when we forget that we were once blind too. And it's most dangerous for those of us who were saved at a young age because we've heard the testimonies of people being rescued and saved out of drug addiction. And those are wonder stories. But if our story is I was saved from a life of stealing M&Ms from my mom's pantry, it doesn't quite have the same weight. But there's no degrees. You either could see spiritual things or you couldn't. You were either blind to the ways of God or you weren't. We lose the wonder of our salvation. We forget that we were once blind. And we lose the wonder of salvation. We diminish our blindness by saying, well, I wasn't that blind. G.K. Chesterton says this, that we are perishing for lack of wonder, not for lack of wonders. You wanna know why the church is dying? Has nothing to do with the lack of miracles. Has to do with our wonder of the salvation of God. Have you lost the wonder of your salvation? Have we lost it? Along the way, have we lost it? And we thought we've begun to believe that we actually have something to do with it. I think we've lost it. A.W. Tozer says that God wants worshipers before workers. Indeed, the only acceptable workers are those who have learned the lost art of worship. Because here's the argument, particularly in church circles. So the band starts to come back up, we're gonna start to sing in worship. Here's what happens for a lot of us. We would say, yeah, yeah, but... I don't, I don't worship in singing because I worship in my work. Great. But the Bible is full of commands to sing in worship. And I'm not saying don't worship in your work. What I'm saying is worship in your work and worship in your singing. He doesn't just want servants. He wants worshipers but we don't worship because we've lost the wonder of our salvation. We refuse to admit and walk in. I once was blind, but this is my story. I once was blind, but now I see. This is our story in verse 25. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. That's the substance of our worship. That's it. That's it. If we can't get there, we will never worship. And in 2 Corinthians, Paul begins to speak about how God has removed the veil from those of us who are following Jesus. And that now the journey is not from darkness to light. Now the journey, when the veil is removed, is from one degree of glory to the next. And so if the substance of our worship is I once was blind, but now I see, we keep adding layers to that was I once thought it was this, but now it's this. 
I once thought God was an angry dictator, but now he is love. I once thought that uh, God, faith in God was about my behavior, but now I've learned it's just about me following him. I once was blind, but now I see. Ephesians 2, Paul begins by saying that we were once dead in our sins and trespasses. Dead people can't do anything. I once, well, we once were dead in our sins and trespasses, but God sent Jesus. This is your story. This is my story. I once was what? I once was blind. I once was dead in my sin. I once was stuck in my self-righteousness. I once was a drug addict. I once was a kid addicted to pornography. I once was this. What, are, what were you? Because when we refuse to admit what we once were, we cannot celebrate what we have now become. I was but God. I was blind, but God gave me sight. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with us this morning? I don't know where you find yourself today. But if you are following Jesus, this is your story. I once was blind, but now I see. And maybe over the years, it's gotten harder and harder for you to worship, to ascribe worth to Jesus, to bow and kiss the ring of the sovereign. It's humiliating. It means you have to admit things you don't like to admit. We're commanded to worship. And to get to worship, we have to admit our blindness. We're going to worship now through some songs of, of music and worship. And I know we can excuse it away and say, well, I don't sing. I don't do those things. Listen, if you were once blind and now you see, you'll do whatever you can to worship. May we not be Pharisees who have grown so dense in our knowledge that we've lost the wonder of the Messiah. Father, we uh, come to you now as a people prayerfully examining our hearts, prayerfully seeking you in ways that we have lost the wonder of following you. We've lost the wonder of our healing, lost the wonder of our salvation, lost the wonder of our freedom, lost the wonder of being your son and your daughter because we think we deserve it. For those of us today mired in sin and it's just the guilt and shame of sin, God, would you use what the enemy meant for evil? And would you use those feelings to then push us and roll us towards worship that even still you love us? Yeah, I can't get out of this addiction. Yes, I can't stop with this or I struggle with this or I stumble forward in this way. And yet, God, while we were yet sinners, you died for us. As we worship today, Father, may we worship this way. I once was blind, but now I in Jesus' name, 